Welcome back to GEMS with Genesis Amaris Kemp. With me today is Scott Mater. And here's a bit about Scott. In 2011, Scott and his wife, Carrie, took inspired stewardship as a business to serve Christian men and couples that are struggling to live out their calling. They work to help align the way you use your time, your talent, and your treasures so that you can identify and live a fully authentic life that allows you to authentically live your calling, serve others, and provide for your family. As a certified human behavior consultant and members of the John Maxwell team, they focus on helping you understand yourself, understand others, and through that understanding, build the kingdom. In 2017, they took the business full-time offering assistance through one-on-one coaching, speaking, and workshops. Scott joined BNI in 2017, one month after leaving his corporate job, and became a support director consultant in June of 2020 in the San Antonio area, supporting five chapters. He served as a support director from July of 2021 to April 2021, before transitioning to the managing director of South Texas. And without further ado, let's welcome Scott Mater. Hey, it's great to be here. I'm so happy to talk to you today. My pleasure. And thank you so much, Scott. But but before we jump into today's segment, I want to know what exactly is BNI? So BNI is Business Network International. So it is a organization that helps small business owners uh, form what they call chapters where they network with each other to help each other grow their business, to help each other support each other in business, to uh, pass referrals, to do education, all of these sorts of things. So that, uh, because small business is one of those things where oftentimes you're on an island and it's a way of bringing people together to help each other grow their business with the attitude of giver's gain. Thank you so much for explaining that because I learned something new. (laughs) And today, listeners and viewers, we're going to talk about using your calling to find your purpose or remix it this way. Are you called for your purpose? So Scott, when you think about the work that you're currently doing alongside your wife, Carrie, how did you know that it was time for you to break free from corporate and tap into truly who Scott Mater is and what you and Carrie have to offer? Well, I will be honest. Um, I was a little bit slower to make that decision than my wife was. Um, so she she actually says I stayed with the corporate world about three years longer than I should have. So I've always, you know, I I've always kind of been a coach. I just didn't always call it a coach. So I was a school teacher for 16 years. In in as a teacher, I always kind of had that coaching mindset as opposed to just, you know, stand at the front of the room and talk for 40 minutes and then give people a test. And then when I moved into corporate, even as I moved up into leadership, I still had a coaching mindset. It was always about developing the people around me and and kind of lifting up the resources that way. And so it was sort of natural when people outside of the business begin to ask my wife and I how we'd done some of the things that we had done and would we be able to help them, it was sort of natural to start taking that same sort of coaching mindset and take that coaching approach. And so the coaching part is something I've always done, even though I didn't always call it coaching. Now, taking the leap from having a highly compensated, nice you know, corporate job that was secure into running my own business, 
that was a bit, a bit more of a stretch. That took a little bit more uh, time and a little bit more of prayer and a little bit more of listening and hearing. And, you know, my wife telling me, you, you really need to do this. You, you really, why, why haven't you quit yet? Um, and me finally, you know, kind of go, okay, you're probably right. And launching the business back in 2017. So it, it definitely is a process. It's not something that happens instantaneously. And it's something that requires a lot of prayer, a lot of listening, and then a lot of seeking out the input of the people around you that you trust, you know, my mom, my wife, those sorts of folks, and listening to their voice as well. And so whenever you actually pulled the plug and made that jump, your wife, Carrie, did she come from a corporate background as well? No, she's a, she's a military brat. So her, her, her dad was military. They traveled all over. So she's kind of always had that attitude of, you know, pick me up, put me in a new place and I'll figure it out. Not a big deal um, because she did that all the time that she was growing up. And then she worked uh, as an optical tech. She's done, you know, she's run a house cleaning business. She's done a few other things, but she didn't really have the entrepreneurial history or that sort of thing. I was much more of the entrepreneur. Um, my father was a small business owner. I grew up, you know, I started a business when I was 12 years old, um, you know, hired my friends to do lawn care and then did painting. And then I worked for my dad. And so it was more of, I kind of had that bug, but she also had the idea of no matter what we did, we'd make it work, you know, because she kind of always adapted to whatever situation she was in. She'd learned to be very adaptive and very resilient in that way. So I think it kind of worked together to lead us towards, hey, now we're going to do something on our own. Mm, I like that. And the reason why I asked for context about her background is because I'm able to learn what some of her strengths are and pairing her strengths with your strengths. And then we really get to understand more about inspired stewardship because both of you are doing it together along with whoever else is a part of your team. And you talked about whenever, you know, she was telling you, hey, you know, you really should do this. Do you feel that as your wife was telling you that, that God was telling you to, but maybe you were being disobedient because maybe you were afraid of the unknown or talk about how your faith played a huge factor into you really taking that leap of faith and that jump? Sure. So oftentimes my wife, the way I describe it to other folks is my, my wife is often the voice of God. And I don't mean that in a, you know, my wife bosses me around and tells me what to do kind of way. I mean, my wife is very empathetic. My wife is able to discern things very quickly. You know, she's the person that can walk into a room and she'll pick out the person in the room that's hurting or uncomfortable and she'll go try to make friends with them, um, you know, where I'm not that sensitive to that. And she's always had that talent uh, of being able to do that. So oftentimes she's the one that will be speaking truth. And yeah, obviously I think any of us when we're being called to do something new or something different or something that is challenging, a lot of times, you know, we, we pray on it. We listen for the voice of God in our own heart. And I began to feel a sense of peace towards the idea but there's still a reluctance because, you know, you know what you know, you don't know what's new yet. You haven't done it yet. So of course you don't know it yet. And so there's that tension between being called in a direction and then actually living that direction out. 
And as well, I think by, you know, I think God calls us to be responsible in our actions too. I don't, I don't think, you know, God calls us to be foolish. Um, he, he challenges us to live into faith, but he also admonishes us to be wise. And if you think about, there's even a tension right in there of, you know, jump off the cliff and build your parachute on the way down or build your wings on the way down kind of mindset, which is a faith-based mindset, you know, we'll, we'll make it. And then there's also the, but lay up a firm foundation before you build a building or else everyone calls you foolish. So my wife did, and I did do a lot of hard things before I made the leap of getting completely out of debt, you know, setting up resources, making sure that we had a situation where even if things didn't go perfectly, they would go well enough. You know, they didn't have, we didn't have to hit the hole in one to make it all work. There, there were, uh, there was a wide space of options that would work. Um, and be, it was okay that we didn't know exactly where it was going to go or what it was going to look like. We didn't have to have that certainty because it's, we weren't going to not take care of our, our family, not take care of our son, not take care of our needs and still be able to help and serve others at the same time. So it does mean when I started the business, there wasn't this sense of desperation, um, which helps get past that fear into the idea of, well, yeah, but this, you know, this is what being what I'm called to do. And this is the direction we're supposed to go. And yeah, we don't know exactly what it's going to look like or how it's going to work out, but that's okay. And that lets you then lean on the faith part. So I think there's a tension in that all the time for all of us as we kind of live out our day to day. Mm, I love how you explained that because I heard the golf analogy. I also heard the faith part. And whenever you were talking about faith, it reminded me of the scripture. If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can move mountain. And then I also heard you say, you know, yes, I saw the natural. But then when I paired the natural with the supernatural, you had supernatural. And that's whenever you did your part. But then you allowed God to do the rest. Mm -hmm. And then I also heard you talk, um, talk about strategies in there because you made sure that you had certain things in place before you really took that major leap of faith. Not that you didn't have faith, but because you wanted to make sure that in the natural, your family was taken care of. So you had an exit strategy and et cetera. And that, that does um, bring in the um, scripture to reminder, be wise as a serpent, but harmless as a dove is what mm -hmm. I gathered from that. Because sometimes we as individuals want things like a microwave society where you could just hit 30 seconds and it's done, but then you don't want to take the time to allow it to so slow cook and et cetera. And then whenever we get into a situation that is not conducive, then you have to ask yourself, well, what did I miss along the way? What steps did I negate to get to where I was, if that makes sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the, the truth is, I think all of us look for being an overnight success. And the secret to being an overnight success is take 10 years to get there. Um, you know, it, it's, we see the success. And we think, oh, wow, that person just burst on the scene. And, you know, now they're famous, but we forget about all the hard work that came before. Uh, they, they usually, you know, I'm not going to say it never happens because the world's big enough that there's probably an example that would prove me wrong. But I think most of the things that we hold up as, at least from a worldly point of view, an overnight success aren't really that. They're instead the accumulation of you know, years and years of work and practice and effort that then manifest 
and people suddenly see it. it it's not it's not that the work didn't come before. It's that nobody was paying attention to that part of the journey, if that makes sense. Yes, that makes sense. And that's what I like to tell some of the younger people that I mentor. I said, you see all the people on social media who are famous. Have you ever stopped to ask them, what were your struggles and what were your pain parts? Because they only put out what what they want you to see because they're curating a vision for you. But they never talked about how maybe they went through bankruptcy or they were homeless or, you know, they had some jobs that maybe they got fired from or they resigned and they hit roadblock after roadblock until they hit that aha moment where they figured out what their niche niche was and how to capitalize on their niche and etc. But it's so important that we bring transparency to the forefront and look at the bigger picture. And now I want to segue into your, um, your mission where you're helping Christian men and couples. So did you start helping Christian men first? Or did you start helping couples first? And what did that look like? So I also will sometimes say it as I help Christians and just leave uh, the gender off of it, because the truth is from a demographic point of view and, and demographic is, you know, race, sex, creed, color, all of that stuff. I, I, I'm not really filtering clients based on that. I'm much more filtering for clients based off of psychographics, how they think, how they feel, what their emotions are, what their approach is to life. That's, that's I want to work with people who are driven and want to succeed and have something that they feel that they're called to do or direction that they're supposed to be going in, but oftentimes are feeling stuck or feeling frustrated. Um, they may have golden handcuffs. You know, this is where you've got the cushy job and everything's great and health insurance and this and that and a 401k and a whatever, but I actually kind of feel like I should be doing that over there, but how could I give all this up? You know, or you may have a really stinky job that you hate and, but it's the thing putting food on the table and how can I make a transition from this into the thing that I really dream about doing? I can't get from here to there. It may be, you know, everything's going great and you've started a dream thing, but now it's a matter of figuring out what do I do first? What do I do second? What do I do third? How do I, how do I pay attention and dial in on what are my real values, my real priorities, and then live them out into the world? And that came about because, you know, my wife and I struggled with that. I, we spent 30 years, you know, dealing with this and figuring this out and gone taking a lot of courses and worked with a lot of other people and taking a lot of training and developed a lot to try to start figuring this out. And we started with financial coaching and we transitioned over time and expanded into what I call stewardship coaching. Because what I found out is the way we handle our money, the way we handle our time, it really comes down to how we handle ourselves. And so, you know, my joke is I help people master your time, your talent, your treasures. But the real truth is I only work on talent. Because at the end of the day, how you handle your time, how you handle your money is really about how you handle yourself. And so it's really that self piece where all of the work happens, but it manifests itself in being able to live out an, an authentic way, what your values are, what your priorities are, so that instead of missing the kid's soccer game because of your day job, you're actually able to be there and be present with your family and be there when you're there and be at work when you're at work. So it's not about they have to be on to launch a small business or they have to, you know, they want a nonprofit or in some ways it's not even about that they have to be Christian other than 
I'm a Christian and I tend to teach through that lens. And so if it's alien to you, I'm not the right coach for you. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not that I don't want to help you. It's that we're going to be talking two different languages and that's not going to be real conducive. So that's kind of how it comes about that, that clients end up partnering with us to work on what they need so that they can really go out and do what God is calling them to do, even when right now they just don't see how they can get to that point yet. Mm, and that's very understandable because when you were talking about that, I thought about when I was working in corporate not too long ago and I spent the bulk of my career in oil and gas. And yes, it provided, you know, a st substantial amount of money and it it was conducive to the current lifestyle, especially being, you know, dual careers where my husband and I both had a career. And then I felt like God shifted that because I knew it was time to leave the organization, but I enjoyed the perks that I got. I, the money that I made was good. So then I kept just sitting there. But how God launched me deep was whenever he forced that door to be closed via a layoff. And then it was like a wake up moment. And I was like, oh my gosh, how, how much have they paid me to sleep on my dreams? And that's one question I like to ask some of the people that I either coach or mentor. How much is that employer paying you to sleep on your dreams? Because sometimes we don't realize certain things until we're going through a situation that is not necessarily conducive. A situation that we didn't bring upon, but it happened to us, but it also happened for us. So then it causes you to shift your perspective and look at things from a different lens. Mm -hmm. And I, wait, go ahead, Scott. No, go ahead. And I feel like the pandemic was a blessing in disguise because it taught a lot of people to really you know, come into who they are and be still and quiet because when everything was shut down, people were forced to work remotely. They were forced to be in the home with their children, their spouse and et cetera. And they had time to really think and it fast forward to where we are right now. We're facing the great resignation where people are now waking up to what their calling is and they don't wanna trade their time for money anymore. They realize that, oh, I have so many gifts and talents that I could use and if I go back, to this work setting, I'm not going to have the as much time to spend with my kids, my spouse, or etc. But I'm going to be confined to this work structure. I'm going to have to either take a vacation day to go to the doctor. And I was like, that's not a vacation day. Going to the doctor is not a vacation. And there's so many other things that come up come about that. And I feel like until employers recognize that we need to value people over profits, then we're going to keep facing this great resignation, in my opinion. Or I have a good friend of mine by the name of Ayana Smith. She says, instead of the great re resignation, it's the great revelation, quote by Ayana Smith. <laughs> well, and I think, you know, I would even tweak one thing you said. So I don't think it's people over profits, and I don't think it's profits over people. I think a business has to recognize that both of those things are important, but they can't sacrifice the short term for the long term. And I think that's the biggest mistakes a lot of companies make is they, they will burn out their people so that they can get a short term result. And then over the long term, it doesn't work and the company ends up failing or closing as opposed to having the long-term view, the more eternal view of how do we build something that thrives and has a legacy? And sure, maybe it's not as great today. Maybe it's not as successful today. Maybe we're having a you know less money coming in today, but 
over the long term, it will add up and multiply and grow and thrive. Because, you know, if they if a company doesn't make any money, it's also going to close. And all of the people that work there are also going to be without work. So part of taking care of your people is being a good curator of you know, the profit and the, the, the functioning of the business and being a good steward of those things. Where I think a lot of times we run into problems is when people stop stewarding the business because that requires a long-term view and they start looking at just today, you know, that, that not, not what's gonna happen next week, what's not gonna happen three years, but what's gonna happen today. And as part of that, I think you're right. A lot of people woke up during the pandemic to, hey, maybe the secure job that I have isn't all that secure. Even if they didn't lose their job, lots of people did. Even if they didn't, you know, launch a, uh, or see something out there that they wanted to do and they were still working and they were able to work from home and everything was still fine, there was a lot of other people that weren't fine if they, even if they themselves had no one in their family get sick or anything else, they still, they heard about and saw people who had gotten sick and even passed away during the pandemic. And it brought home again, that idea of, wait a minute, if I'm living only for tomorrow, this is bad because I may not get tomorrow. But by the same token, if all I'm living for is today, you know, the YOLO, you only live once, do it, you know, forget the future, let's live today. That's also bad. So I think a lot of times the mistake we make, uh, and this is a very Western culture thing, is we love things to be either or, either people or profits, you know, either today, live for today or live for tomorrow, where I think a lot of times, and I think this is theologically sound, if you read the Bible, it's we're put forward to look at things as a both and. It's both the worldly and the eternal. It's both the now and the tomorrow. It's both people and prophets. How can you succeed by lifting both things up? Again, you know, putting it back in the terms for my clients, how can you live out your calling and yet not sacrifice everything else? How can you live and also thrive, you know? Because I think so all too often we look at just surviving when I would think we're really called to thriving. And now thriving, by the way, doesn't mean you're rich and you live in a big mansion. It could mean that, but it could also just mean you're able to provide for your family and your friends and take care of what needs to be taken care of. Thrive is a relative word. It's not a, a worldly world, word that I'm putting forward. It's more one of are you really able to live into your authentic self? And if you are, then you're thriving. Uh, at, at least in my, you know, that's my definition of the word, because uh, I don't think there's a right or a wrong one in that case. And I love what you just said in the latter part, as well as the beginning, because sometimes people are like, they would ask, are you surviving or are you thriving? Well, I don't just want to survive and I don't just want to thrive. I want to do both because both. they work together. And I feel like whenever we don't bridge the gap and bring things together, we're actually failing in my opinion. So um, if you're open, Scott, I want to do some role play and I'll pretend to be your client. And I think this would help people if they're still missing some some form of connecting the dots. So just ask me some questions and I'm going to answer as my authentic self. Okay. Um, so what, uh, what area would you like to work on? I would like to work on one 
being more clear on who my avatar is. So who my ideal client is when it comes to my coaching business, as well as podcasting clients. So that, and the reason why I say both of those is because then I weed out people who are going to waste my time, who's not going to be conducive. Okay. So when, when you think about working with people as a coach, um, or working with people on the podcasting business in, in either one of those, because that may be two answers and it may be one answer and it's okay, just talk. What, what most attracts people to working with you? One, definitely fun and bubbly and energetic. Um, I keep hearing the word firecracker. Oh, you're just a firecracker, especially at your young age of only being 30 and having the amount of experience that you have and the ability to just really get to know that person for who they are and not necessarily what they're bringing to the table because I actually want to know, okay, what educates you? what inspires you and what motivates because those three pillars will tell me more about you versus asking a question that is surface level. I want to deep dive with you. Okay. And what, when they are finished working with you, so people come to you and work and then, you know, let's say however long has gone by and they're, they're graduating, they're, they're done with the coaching. What, what transformation or what change do they hold out as valuable? Seeing the ROI, their return on investment, not just hiring me as a coach or being a podcasting client, but I want to see out of the tips, the tools, and the resources I have provided you with, what are you using to leave your imprint in the world? And how is that imprint driving an impact in order for you to be a world changer? Because one question I always ask is, if you were to write your own obituary, what would you want it to say and reverse engineer it? Because that allows you to be mindful of the seeds that you're planting today, because later on, they're going to reap an abundant harvest. And the reason how I came up with that, Scott, is because whenever we had my dad's funeral, I was like, man, you know, we wrote my dad's obituary, but what about if he had the ability to write his own obituary based on the actions that he took? Yes, he was an incredible man, but he didn't write it. Someone else did. And they're telling his story of what he has accomplished, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Sure. So I want to challenge you, though, to put that in the language of your client. So not about what you see as their transformation, but if they were sitting down with their best friend and having a cup of coffee and their friend looks at him and goes, you know, something's different about you today. Something's different. I haven't talked to you for six months and and something's different. And they talk about your coaching. What would they tell their friend came out of that coaching? She held me accountable. She was no nonsense, very direct cut through the fluff. And she told me not necessarily what I wanted to hear, but what I needed to hear in order to unlock my destiny assignment and keys, which no other person has done that for me. So she was just straight out the gate. And I guess the reason why I say that is because some people are like, you're very direct and blunt. And I'm not sure if it's because of my years that I've spent in oil and gas, because when you work in that industry, you don't have time to be fluffed up when you're drilling million dollar wells a day or et cetera. Right. Sure. So, okay. So that, um, you, how did you say it? 
the they help you help them unlock their the keys to their destiny is that what you put is yes you to their disc okay um and now is there anything or any types of clients that you absolutely do not want to work with what are some characteristics that are antithetical to the kind of client that you want i would say domestic violence because i haven't encountered domestic violence. So I may not necessarily know how to speak their language. Another one is drug abuse. I've never been in a situation with drug abuse. And I feel like drug abuse could be tried to tied to some form of trauma and that trauma could be tied to triggers. And then another client that I don't want to work with is maybe somebody who is going through divorce because I've never experienced a divorce. So I may not necessarily know how to understand where they're coming from. I want to work with people, yes, who want to work on their mindset, but I have been in the situations that they're trying to get out of because then my experiences will carry weight. And if you could only work with one and again, don't focus on demographics. So not who they are, but how they are is in mindset. What, what are some characteristics or traits that would make someone a good fit for you? Limiting beliefs, fear, someone who is fearful because they haven't seen possibilities. Someone who is dealing with you know, imposter syndrome. They've heard so many negative voices that they are starting to believe those voices. And someone who is struggling to find out who they are. Mm -hmm. Anything else? Ooh, this is a good one. A person who has went through bullying to the point where that bullying has left some remnants inside of them, where they are just so mindful of who they talk to or who they're connected with, because they don't want to open up those wounds when in actuality, those wounds do need to be opened up so they could effectively heal from them. And okay. someone who who is a product of parents who are immigrants. Because when you see your parents come to a different country and what they had to sacrifice in order to make it, that's also a part of who you are. And sometimes those generational foundations can also be generational curses because you hold on to those things so tightly that if you let go, you feel like you're going to lose a sense who, of who you are when in actuality, you are becoming who you were destined to be when you shatter those emotional ties and bondage. Okay. So now in, in this, I want to challenge you to answer this in as few of words as possible. Okay. Okay. If you think about one, if you, if you had to sum up in as few of words as possible, what's the main area you help clients with or the main thing you help clients with? Ownership, resilience, perseverance, identity. Okay. And what's the main problem? So that's solution. You know, that's the after what's the before for when, when they're seeking you out, what's the problem or the pain. And again, in as few words as possible. Fear, doubt, lack, scarcity. 
So you help free people from fear or a limit, fear, limiting beliefs and a scarcity mindset to unlock the keys to their destiny? Yes. Okay. So that's your avatar in one sentence. It's also your coaching in one sentence. Okay. That is amazing. I, I help free people from fear, limiting beliefs, and a scarcity mindset to help unlock the keys to their destiny. And if that's the words that your avatar uses, your client uses, that's actually a very good way of talking about what you do. Because here's the thing. If I resonate with that, if I'm feeling any of those things, I'm going to say, how do you do that? Or tell me more about that. And now you started a conversation. Mm -hmm. If I don't resonate with those things, I'm not your ideal client, then I'm going to go, oh, that's cool. <laughs> you know, and we kind of move on. And, and that's okay too, because mm -hmm. you don't necessarily want to have, you know, that's not a good fit for you. They can go find another coach who's a better fit. Does that um, make sense? Yes, that makes sense. And that's why you're inspired stewardship because you're giving inspiration, but then the stewardship is leading them, leading them to where they want to go, which is pulling out their purpose and their purpose is being pulled out, but what, by what they are called to, would you agree with that statement? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. That is amazing. And thank you for doing that role play because sure. it helped me. And I believe it's going to help the listeners who listen to our segment, Scott. And as we begin to wind down, because I want to be respectful of your time commitment today, what are some gems that you would like to leave the listeners and the viewers with? So at the end of the day, I think the thing that we all need to hear is you can live with hope. You can live out what you're called to do, that we are not necessarily, you know, called to know all the answers, but we are called to ask the questions. And I think all too often we, we get held back from wanting to know what the end of the journey is going to be, and therefore we never start the first step. So if something's been holding you back, start on that journey today and you'll get where you want to go, or at least you'll get where you're supposed to go. It's not always necessarily where we think we're going to end up. Uh, the journey di is different for all of us, but we'll, we'll travel down that road. You know, that's really what living your calling is about. And Scott, tell the listeners and viewers who you are, how they could connect with you on social media, your website, or et cetera. Sure. So the best way to find me, um, I, I do have a podcast out there. It's Inspired Stewardship. You can pretty much find everything, how to find the podcast, all my social media links, all of that on my website at inspiredstewardship.com. I'm going to set up a, a page just for your listeners. That'll be inspiredstewardship.com slash gems. And that will have some free resources that they could use. Um, it has a way of setting up a 30-minute call anything that is there that can help them, but you can always find me over at inspiredstewardship.com as well. Thank you so much, Scott. And listeners and viewers, make sure you connect with Scott Mater. And it's Mater like the movie Cars. He is doing some incredible work on the forefront as well as behind the scenes. And I want to remind you that we are all on a roller coaster ride called life. Embrace the highs, embrace the lows. And there is a lesson to be learned at every stage in our life. Flip the script on no, 
When you hear no, see it as new opening or next opportunity. And there is always a way to shift your perspective and vantage point. And whenever you go through challenges, remember that you can't have a testimony without the test. Test is in the word testimony. You are destined for greatness, but I want you to believe in yourself as much as you believe in some of the risks that you take on a daily basis. And remember who you are and whose you are. And without further ado, make sure you subscribe to the podcast by way of audio platform and our YouTube channel, Gems with Genesis Amaris Kemp. Until we chat next time, peace, love, and lots of blessings.